0: Today we're really continuing on this, uh, our understanding and our looking at how Jesus was really kind of uh, mentoring them, teaching them, the people who followed him. Anybody who followed him, he considered them people he was teaching. Uh, what, we're, what we're working to realize in this series is that we often look back at how Jesus taught and modeled for the disciples, not really realizing that his job did not end there. He still models, he still teaches, he still mentors. He does that with us. And we we tend to check out on that idea, but Jesus is very serious about the idea that he's still at work in our lives. The same kind of challenges, the same pushing. And what we begin to see as we continue to look at this is it was all about him developing in followers a greater and a greater and a greater faith. You see, to follow him is going to require that that faith continue to rise. Uh, Last week, we really looked at this idea of seeking God. If we seek him, you will find him. Most of us, that might not be the case, that we really see ourselves as seekers of Jesus. And so we looked at uh, the reality that his word even says that. Seek first the kingdom. Seek his rule and reign in your own life. Look for his authority to be active in your life. Purposeful. Be purposeful about his rule, his reign, his influence, being active in your life. Seek that out. And that's what makes our faith transform us. Today, I really want to talk about the imperfect world that we live in, being mentored by Jesus, being trained, influenced by Jesus. So my questions today for you, have you ever been mad at God? Has the Bible ever seemed too difficult? Or the things that it asks you to do or commands you to do? Have you had reservations about the Bible? Have you ever found God or his word judgmental or even offensive? Have you ever had a prayer that wasn't answered, that really put you at odds with God, made you distant, made you question? You see, it's at that point, it's the point of doubt. It's the, it's the point of the mystery. It's the point of the struggle. You see, at that point, that's, that's the critical place of faith. That's the place that challenges us because we have the right and the authority to walk away. You always do. You always did. And you always will. It's yours. So the question becomes, what doubts are big enough? What questions are big enough? What struggles are big enough? What, what is big enough that you will hesitate, that you will stop? When it comes to praying for someone, Where will you stop? When your friends are there? When it looks like it's a really difficult thing? When you're being an idiot? You've had too much to drink? You've been partying? All of a sudden, there's a prayer opportunity. But you realize you have not set yourself up to really look godly in that moment. So you're silent. You wait for a different moment. Let's see. It's in those moments is where our mentor is at work in us. He's right there with you. You see, can we follow when it gives us more questions than answers? Can we follow when the doubts are as big as anything that we have? Can we say yes when we're disinterested and we're distracted by other things in our life? I have had times when I have been angry with God, when I felt like my questions were too big, and I've shared those with you. But I want to go to the scripture uh, and, and give something that appears to be an offensive moment. I want you to join me in Mark chapter 7, verse 25. We'll kind of start in the middle of that verse. We'll read 25 and 26. This is the NIV. There's a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. In other, tra- other parts of the scripture, that calls her a Canaanite. But it has to do with the region she was from. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Lord, she replied, but he told her, in his response to her, he says to her, and, and I don't know why I don't have it here, but his response was, the food on the table is for the children of Israel, not for the dogs. How would you feel about that? How would you feel about the God of love telling you when you're Child, is demon-possessed. You've come and you've begged him, help my daughter. This isn't for you. I have come to the children of Israel, not to the dogs. How would you feel? Would you be offended at the God of love? Would you write that religion off I came to you. I needed help for my child. I wasn't even asking for me. I was asking for my child. Wouldn't that be good on Oprah? Wouldn't that be a great, you know, blog? Or That would go viral for sure. Sounds offensive, doesn't it? Now you can read lots of stuff about this that, you know, it wasn't his time, you know, to go to uh, the non-Jewish people and blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's all valid. It's still very offensive, isn't it? It's still difficult to get your arms around how cruel that sounds And how that could possibly be in a spirit of love that he would say that. So, what happens to our faith in that moment? Is that too much? Would that be too much for you? Would that be far enough where you would write Jesus off at that point? Where you would be ready to make your decision? On whether you would follow this man with your life when he snubs your begging for help for your child. So, we're going to set the stage for this moment because you're going to find it important, I think. We're going to start in John chapter 6, and this is just kind of paralleling in the scripture. We're going to start with a story that we've already touched on. Jesus fed the 5,000 people. And then when Jesus left, he left in the boat, and they, they kind of go, oh, what happened to Jesus? And so they go searching for him. They want to follow him. They want to search for him and follow him. You hear that word? They want to follow him. That sounds good, isn't it? They want to follow him. And as we see in the book of John... Chapter 6, this is a bit of an outline. They search for Jesus, but he challenges their motive for searching for him. And then he tells them who he is. And then like it happens so often, the people of God say, if that's who you are, we want a sign. Oh, how about food? Then Jesus' response is, I am the food. And their response is, they leave. So we're going to break that down just a little bit. (coughs) Excuse me. Because it becomes important. When they're looking for Jesus, his response, uh, John 6, verse 26, 27. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. (coughs) You're looking for me for the food. You're not after a Savior. You're not after truth. You're not after the kingdom. You're not wanting to follow God. You're not wanting to know if God is in this. You are wanting the free food. So because they're following Jesus doesn't mean they're following Jesus. Because they are seeking Jesus doesn't mean they're seeking the kingdom. You see how they're different. And he calls them on that because a good mentor would. Somebody who is trying to help you follow is going to point out you're not really following. Then he challenges them in their motives. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. You see, the approval of God comes through Jesus. Jesus has the seal of approval. But they're not looking for the seal of approval. They're not looking for God. He miraculously did this, and they're more interested in can he do it again? So, they join the conversation with Jesus. They asked him, so what must we do um, to do the works God requires? So, not what does God want, where are we going, how does this work, but what is required of us? What's our minimum? Where's the line? What's the law? So Jesus answers them. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work you have to do is you have to believe in me. That's your work. The buck stops here. You have to follow me, not the food. So they asked him, What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. We're right back to the food, aren't we? Isn't that kind of a convenient example of how you can prove your god. You were sent by God. Let's see how can you Oh, I know. You can give us more food. That would work. And tomorrow and the next day. Jesus response verse 32. Jesus said to them very truly, I tell you It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Their answer, Sir, they said, get this, always give us this bread. Not give us this bread, but give us this bread from now on. This would be great. That will do just fine. Okay, so it wasn't Moses, it was God. Good point. So always do that for us, and we will believe you. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me And still do not believe. Further down, Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This is the salvation, folks. This is the eternity. So at this, the Jews began to grumble. You know, there's no payoff here. He's the bread, blah, blah, blah. We will never hunger again. We will never thirst again. We don't believe you. They began to grumble about it because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? <clears throat> now here's here's the point I want you to see here. You see they have switched to their old truth to what they know in the flesh. Do you know we do that all the time? We switch back to what we know. Well, I can't trust him. He smokes pot. He can't tell the truth. We always revert to reasons why we can't follow. We know who this guy is. We know his parents. He didn't come from heaven. You see the question? You see the doubt? You see the problem? And it was enough to stop them. That was enough doubt. Now, you see, Jesus, at this point, for many of us, we might start soft selling. Well, you now, guys, here's what I mean by that. But this is Jesus' approach. Uh, Dylan? Jesus doesn't quite do it that way, he doesn't try to soft sell. You know why? Because he's wanting them to believe and follow on a road that is not made of soft sell. He's wanting them to come with him down a road that has no soft cell in it. You will have to believe. So here is Jesus' response, and I want you to hear how he just drives this point home so hard. Stop
1: grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna, ma, ma? In the wilderness, yet they die. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How could this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you. will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum.
0: Thank you. You are how know, kept driving home? You got to eat my flesh. You got to drink my blood. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Over and over and over. You're like, uh, 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 uh. He did not back away. He pointed out two things there. I am the way. If you get confused, I want you to remember I am the way. I am the only way. I am the way. And you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Oh, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Let me make it clear. You're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's like, okay, all right. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That was enough. That was enough for them. That pushed them to the point where they said no. They were back at the office the next day. Yeah, I spent the week following that Jesus guy. You know, he is weird. I mean, the guy, it's an occult. There's something weird going on there. You wanna stay away from that guy. I took his poster down in my bedroom. He's, he's talking about cannibalism and drinking his blood and you're gonna to go to heaven if you drink his blood. and. It's too much. Verse 67. He's talking to the ones who were close to him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, they stayed with the truth. I'm sure it was a hard message for them. Where are we going to go? You have the truth. I may not understand it, It may creep me out, I might wrestle with it, but you are the truth. You see, God will push your buttons. He'll push your buttons. Years ago, I was teaching um, at Houston. We had a bunch of people from the neighborhood showing up. number of them gang members, and uh, I was standing just in the front of the room about like this, and I read this passage. Anybody got a Bible that's not electronic? Here's one right here. So I read this passage, and then I take my Bible and I throw it down on the floor, just kind of toss it down. You should have seen the look on some of these guys' faces. They were ready to kill me. I, these guys had been coming to church two or three weeks, and I noticed the look. They were offended. Now, they've never opened this thing. They don't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. John from Joe, I looked at him and I said, that bothered you, didn't it? Really, that bothered you, didn't it? So you feel like you have some respect for this thing and you want me to respect it too. So when I do that, really bothers you, doesn't it? And, and now they're kind of looking at each other. What do we do? You know, what do we do here? I said, here's the difference. You might respect the book only by not throwing it down. But you don't respect the book by reading it and following it. Jesus doesn't care if you drop it. He doesn't care if you burn it. He doesn't care if you throw it in the air, if you get it wet. Spill your peach pudding on it. What he cares about is, are you learning it? Are you following it? You see, that's someone who respects the word. I said, I invite you to respect the word. I was hesitant about throwing anybody's Bible on the floor anyway. They might be offended at that. And then I might have to do it again. You see, this is a great example of when people had doubts, when words were hard, but they went with the core truth and the fact that Jesus, in these moments, is teaching you. In your moments of doubt, He's teaching you. In your moments of struggle, he's teaching you. In your, in your points of your greatest questions and challenges, he's teaching you. This is the moment to decide what your truth is. This is what keeps us silent. This is what keeps us quiet. This is what keeps us from stepping in and taking great risk with Jesus. Will I look stupid? Will I look foolish? Will it work? Will it not work? You see, all of those questions power up, power up on you and I. And they're more powerful than our following. And in that moment at school, in that moment at work, in that moment at home, we fall away. Meaning we don't follow. <coughs> Excuse me. And this is where we pick up our story again of the Syrophoenician woman. Mark chapter 7 verse 24, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. They were still trying to get that rest. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, As soon as she heard about him, a woman whose daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born, uh, born in Syrian uh, Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So when Jesus tells her it's for the children, not the dogs, was she offended? She said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs get the crumbs of the children. I want you to think about this. Just before this, he had had numerous encounters all about the food. And here's a lady that thinks the crumbs. Here's a lady that her pride is not in the way of what she seeks from Jesus. It becomes a powerful teaching moment. Can you be humble When Jesus says something, when the scripture calls for something that you find offensive, can you be humble? You see, this lady became a model to every Jew of how to follow with big, difficult challenges and questions. She did not choose offense what she chose is to stay with the truth. This man can heal my daughter. And if I just get a crumb from him, it will heal my daughter. Then he told her, For such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home, found her child lying on a bed, and the demon was gone. (coughs) Lessons like these teach us. For Job, what he had to learn is, I am a man, I am not God. And when I do perfectly and don't sin, I am a man and not God. And when I am full of righteousness more than anybody else on the planet, I am still a man and not God. And Job learned that man is really not in a position to challenge God, although we try it all the time. But instead of trying to challenge God, this lady modeled something very different. And it's consistent with what Jesus said. Everyone who seeks me will find me. Are you Greek? Are you Syro-Phoenician? Are you Catholic? Are you Baptist? Are you Muslim? Are you Buddhist? What are you? Are you atheist? Seek me. You will find me. You put your trust in me. And you will find I come through. This lady is a hero to me because most of us our pride would not have allowed us to make that statement. We couldn't get past the offense. We wouldn't be able to get past the offense. And when she wrote this on Facebook, everybody else would be offended and no one could get past the offense. And for that reason, Many of us hold our ground, and we cannot follow Jesus, because our questions command us. We almost feel like <clears throat> to be untrue to our question <clears throat> is to be untrue to ourself, It's to not be honest. But for the disciples, eat my body, drink my flesh. Those are hard sayings. But to whom are we going to go? You're the one. And if you say things that we don't get, well, that's probably because you're the one. And if you say things I don't like, it's probably because you're the one. And if you say things that offend me, it's probably because you're the one and I'm not. And Job was right. But if our pride doesn't rule us and our questions don't become our Lord and our God. Uh, For myself, and I've shared my story, for many years, my questions and my doubts became my God. They were more powerful than God in my life. Didn't mean God hated me, didn't mean that He didn't pursue me. What it meant I, is I could not follow Him because the road to follow Him was about trusting Him even in my doubt and with my questions. So Jesus provides this powerful lesson. I almost see this woman to be of the same caliber as Job. Job was in a situation that was unjust. But he still believed God was God. And he still believed he was a man. Here's the powerful lessons. If you can't follow in the mystery, you can't follow. If you can't follow with questions, you can't follow. And if you can't follow with doubts, you can't follow. <clears throat> Jesus is raising up people who will follow him and trust him in the moment. Trust him that that will work out. Years ago, we were in Mexico, uh, and I was speaking to a group, and I, Carlos, was translating for me, and I made the comment. I said, um, in the message, I said, "Did you know God has a weakness?" And he turns and he looks at me. He said, God doesn't have a weakness. I said, yes, he does. Just say it. He said, I don't know, but we had a bit of an argument kind of thing up front. I said, just say it. And here's what he said to me. I'm going to say it because I trust you. Now, he did say it this way. Bill says... God has a weakness. (laughs) You see, that's what God wants us to do. Will you trust me? I know you have questions. I I know you have concerns. I know you have doubts. Will you trust me? Will you follow? I'm not going to make it easy for you to follow because following me isn't easy. I'm going to be honest with you and I'm going to invest in you in ways that you'll grow but if you're going to have aha moments where you finally get it it means that you're going to have to walk with me in your doubts and in your questions and take those risks It struck me that Jesus wants us to move beyond the things that we hang up on and to trust him. And then what he's going to do with that Is he is going to put it in play to grow your faith if you would stand.